Today, I'm joined by Dr. Saleha Afridi, who is the managing director and founder of the Lighthouse Arabia, which she founded with the intentions of making a positive impact on the mental health of individuals and families living in this region. Dr. Saleha is a clinical psychologist with generalist training and experience in a wide range of mental health issues. Over the last decade, she has had extensive experience consulting with executives and the corporate workplace on a range of issues related to wellness, stress management, coaching, and transformational counseling. She holds a doctorate in clinical psychology from Arizona School of Professional Psychology. I quote her wonderful words here. The most important person you will ever meet is your true self. The most important lessons you will ever learn are the ones you already knew. And the most important journey you will ever take is the inner journey. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Saleha. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, please? Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, so, yes, I think you named quite a few things there. Uh, I have been in the UAE now for 14 plus years. Uh, I founded the Lighthouse in about 12 years ago as a clinical psychologist. I'm also a mother of four children and a wife and a daughter and a sister, and we sort of all live together. So those um, all those roles are actually quite um, active in my day-to-day. And yeah, I work with um, just building awareness about mental health in the region. That's really where my intention was when I first started working here in the UAE. At that point, it was quite a, um, a quite a. I wish it's, it was not a topic that was talked about at that time. And so it started off in a very grassroots kind of way, going from school to school, company to company, church and house, wherever people would invite me, I would go there. And that's how the beginnings of the lighthouse came. And it always has been. And our mission really is to spread awareness, to break stigma, to provide accessible care through support groups and education. Um, and while we are, um, yeah, while we are, uh, caring for our community in this way. So that's me in a nutshell. Um, but recently I started on social media, which was what, three or four, four years ago now. In May, it will be four years. And that was a new adventure for me. And it really just, it was something that I was doing a lot. Anyways, I was teaching and um, building awareness about parenting and wellness within the community while I was doing these um, seminars, you can call them. And I was doing those free of charge just to build that um, awareness. And now with COVID, we went online and I saw the power of this online platform. And I had just started you know, a year before COVID. And so that's when I really started to invest a lot more energy in online platforms like LinkedIn and as you know, Zoom webinars, as well as Instagram. So that's kind of my journey in the last 14 years. That sounds like an absolutely amazing journey, you know, starting from grassroots and your positive intention of tackling stigma, which is much needed in today's society. So what do you think are the modern trends and perspectives in terms of female wellness and well-being? You know, this this 
Is, um, I think that the trends are obvious ones. I imagine, you know, wellness and self-care. I think giving permission, women giving themselves permission to care for themselves is a trend. It's sad that it's trendy right now, but self-care, self-love, giving yourself permission to be that way with yourself is a trend. Um, body positivity. Um Although I have issues with that trend in the way it's framed, because it's still very much about the body and uh, how I look rather than really relating to the body in a different way. But just at, I think it's a good start that we're we're saying that women who have different types of bodies and different shapes should be okay and take care of themselves and appreciate themselves. And not everyone needs to look like a, you know, a, a model on the cover of a magazine. And so um, that would be another trend. And then I think um, working women, especially during the pandemic, just having that conversation starting to happen is, you know, what do they need? what's happening there? How are we going to retain that talent? Because so many working women actually left the workforce during COVID because of burnout and because they were exhausted. Um, and, and that has a lot to do with just the burden of care that is placed on women. And so having, it's not trendy, but it's a conversation that is now trending. And then I would lastly say that um, menopause is a conversation that is now starting to be had. Uh, this was not, I, I just don't remember anyone talking about it. It's almost like you just let women go through that and they were done and that was it. But I think with social media and the power of social media and a lot of the stars who have gone through the, the menopausal transition or are in the menopausal transition and talking about that research now being done by women who are saying that this is an important subject for us to talk about because there is a transition period for women, even in the workforce, but but in, in our communities that go through something quite difficult, but we don't talk about it and we're not doing anything about it. And so that is a trending conversation as well. I, I think it's incredibly interesting that you've actually brought that up, Dr. Saliha, because for all the women that are going through that phase in their life, um, you know, sort of um, looking at the age ranges at when this affects them, it has a range of impact upon them. And sometimes you don't know, um, you might be working with, with, a, with the ladies, you know, maybe in the late 50s and onwards, and they might be going through that particular phase in their life and um, sort of dealing with the different changes. Um, so kind of having that empathy, even as women, you know, younger women having empathy towards um women in different stages of their lives as well, um, and the different uh, processes that they're going through. So I think it's very noble that you've mentioned it. There's actually a long-standing debate of, you know, women can't have it all, this sort of cliche, um, especially in terms of working mothers, you know, um, I think the way society views working mothers, uh, whether they're married, whether they're single, or whether they're divorced, or whatever stage that they're going through, um, that they can't have it all, that they can't be a good working woman and a good working mother. And sometimes it's that societal perception of guilting the woman. Well, are you a good enough mother? Or are you a good enough employee? 
and this balance, and also in terms of looking at the wider issues, you know, um, women just being their own identity. You know, if we take away those labels of being a mother, being a daughter, being a wife, the person themselves as well, you know, and looking at them in a holistic sense. So this cliche of women can't have it all, what's your perspective in terms of working mothers? Um, I think I find that phrase just problematic in itself because I, I'm it it shows the problem that is still within societies that the burden of responsibility for the home is on the woman, and um, it places the burden of care for children, care for the elderly parents and community members on the woman. And until we start shifting some of those perspectives, and I think we have a long way to go. I think I read somewhere in research that, you know, over a hundred years before we start shifting some of the way we look at these gender stereotypes and these gender expectations that we have. Um, I think this, um, this, this phrase itself shows where we are as a society about what we expect from women versus men in caregiving roles. So that's how I feel about it. I think, and having it all, I think on the, se the second point that I would make is that what does that even mean, right? That's assuming that what you want is what I want. And what, what I can do is what you can do. And so lumping women all together in one, um, you know, in, in one, uh, under one umbrella or in one bucket, it doesn't make sense because my capacities at a different age were different than my capacities today. My needs today are different when I have three teenagers versus when I had three toddlers. And so what does that mean? What does having it all look like for me at different stages and phases of my life? And I think that's a conversation that women need to have within themselves because society definitely isn't going to have help you have that conversation is to be able to reflect on what is it that I need now and what is it that I can contribute to my society now. And I think the third thing that I would say is that I think there are women who don't have children that have it all because that's what they wanted. And there are women who are not working and they're raising their families and they're committed to the care of their families and their homes and they have it all. And so I think society should not define what all is for me. I think women need to spend that time and saying, what does that mean for me? And then I think whatever you have, at, you know, I have it all because when it comes, but, but I have defined my all. And, and that doesn't mean that it's the same all as you. It gets a little bit philosophical, I guess, but my all is different from your all. And for me, what I have is enough. And that means I have it all. I think that's incredibly interesting, you know, when you're sort of looking at the de definition of what does having it all mean. And it depends on the individual perspective. And you've just hit the nail on the head there with that. Um, but there are challenges, you know, the way modern society is structured now, if we look at trends and patterns um, of support even, 
working woman, as a working mother, you know, I think for me, it's just not having enough hours in the day. There's just so much happening. You know, you could have everything perfectly organized, but there'll be just this curveball thrown at you. You know, um, it could be a, a small child that might need to be taken to the hospital. It could be um, a last minute thing that you kind of need to deal with. So I think working mothers, they're on the clock 24 seven. And sometimes, and I've discussed this quite a few times, you know, with with the, with, with the conversations I've, I've had, sometimes it's not actually what you're facing that's difficult. It's the perception. It's the perception that you have to face in society that becomes a challenge and it becomes greater than the burden that you're actually bearing or the challenge that you're going through. And it's not always just about obstacles and challenges because things do work out. You know, it might take time, but things do work themselves out. So what do you think are the modern, modern day challenges that working mothers are facing? I think working mothers, they call them, you know, we're in the sandwich generation where we have elderly that are living longer and God give them health. And, you know, um, we are making advances in medicine where people are living longer and women are choosing to have children later. And so we have people that are in their 30s and 40s that have young children that they're taking care of while they take care of elderly parents. And they're sandwiched between giving that care to both generations, which are all in this kind of high need place. And even if you had children younger, um, you are going to have teenagers when you're in your 40s, right? So you have elderly parents and you have young children. So depending on whenever it is that you're having kids and whenever you're getting married, so working mothers are finding that that challenge of caregiving has just become heavier for them, especially in this part of the world. Even the research shows it that you might be able to outsource childcare, meaning you can have a nanny, you can have nursery, you have schools, you have these types of facilities that you can, you know, use support for your child, but you're not going to do that same thing for your parents. And so in this part of the world, a lot of the energy that is needed and a lot of women leaving the workforce is to care for their elderly parents. And, you know, the rates of dementia are on the increase. The rates of cancer are on the increase. Like these types of difficulties, medical health difficulties, meaning that you have people that are high need that you need to be tending to. And so that would be one challenge that I have seen um, and I personally also experience of caregiving that just requires so much, right? And, and, and in different directions. The second thing that I would say for working mothers is that being a mother is a 24-hour job, but now because of hybrid working. So yes, flexible work is very important. And I think you will not make it as a company, uh, as an organization in today's world, if you do not have some type of flexible working, hybrid working for women and men today. Like you need to, you need to just get 
onto that track because that's the way the world is heading. And so, yeah, sure, as a mother, we need to provide that flexible work arrangement, but the pace of work and the demands of work have like, you know, they're on, you know, um, they're so fast paced that the emails are coming in and the meetings are coming in and those meetings are then having after, you know, we have to do follow-ups for every meeting that you have. So yeah, sure. I have eight hours in a day, but eight hours of meetings and then eight hours of follow-through, like the work has increased exponentially for people because we now have so many technologies that make things go faster. So we are now tending to a lot more. And that means that the work is now 24 hours. So I think if women don't have those boundaries in place that I am offline and I'm only going to be doing this much, but we're also figuring it out, to be honest, people will, you know, I, I don't sometimes when I hear people say, well, oh, well, she needs to have better boundaries in place. How do you know what boundaries to have? When you, we just got to this hybrid working thing two, um, you know, two years ago, we're all just trying to figure this thing out. And so our boundaries are still in flux and our needs are still in flux. And, and that's creating a lot of pressure for women. And it's interesting that I'm finding women that go on part-time so they, they're now still in the workforce. They still want to be in the workforce, but they've moved to part-time. But the part-time is actually a 40-hour job when you actually look at all the things that need to get done. So it's it's a very strange time that we're living in, not because there's not enough time in the week. It's just the pace of what is happening within those 40 hours is just um, so fast that it's it's hard to keep up with all the asks and the tasks. Uh, of of what is what is needed, and I think because of that, um, because of the needs of everyone around them, women generally in the working place. So the research found that working women tended to burn out more because they were tending to um, their colleagues in a different way. They were tuned into their colleagues in a different way. They were, you know. Um, spearheading different initiatives within the workplace because it mattered to them. So they weren't just functional and transactional about work. They actually were caregiving within that workplace too. So there's just so many different challenges that working mothers and working women are facing right now. And then layer on top of that the menopausal transition, or layer on top of that, any transition. When you have a new baby, how do you transition into the workplace? When you are having teenagers, what are the different needs that you might have? When you're transitioning into a, you know, the the menopausal transition, what are the needs are you going to have? If you have elderly parents that now have moved in because you need to care for them, what is the transition then? So there's a lot of transitions. And then layer on top of that, that transition into hybrid working places. So I think those are some of the challenges um, that women are facing. And they're really like, it's really, um, I don't think I can under, I, I don't think I can overstate, I should say. I think we underestimate how much caregiving um, requires of us energetically. When you say chick, when you say a sick child that I need to take to the hospital, 
we we just think that it's that oh it's that hour that I will spend in the hospital and then I will need to no but what happens you are then sleep deprived then you're you know you might eat the wrong things and then you're caring for that child all night then you have to wake up the next morning and you're already on a half tank like it becomes something else it's not just a sick child it 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 snowballs into you just literally having no time to care for yourself because you're tending to all of your friends that are struggling, you know, mental health issues. There's one out of four people that are struggling with some sort of mental health difficulty. One out of five kids that is struggling out of, uh, um, that is struggling with a mental health difficulty. Um, Alzheimer's and dementia on the rise, cancers on the rise, illnesses on the rise. Like who is caring for all of these people? It's the women in these families who can't have it all because they're tending to all of these needs. So I think if we just zoom out and say, what is going on societally for women, their their load, their mental load, their emotional load, their physical load, um, it, it's just, it just grew. And, and in the last few years, it just became even heavier. What a brilliant analysis, absolutely brilliant. And you know, the interesting thing is, when we even talk about identity, sometimes it feels like, well, when you become a mother, that's it. You're not allowed to have an identity as a human, as a person, and to sort of say, well, actually, I'm I'm a woman, you know. And society is not accepting of that. And I think, whereas coming on to kind of philosophy and interfaith here, when God gives you rights, as an individual, whether you're a man or a woman, who is society to sort of put you into that box to say, well, no, this is what you should be. You should just mm -hmm. be a mother. This is how you should behave. And that's it. If you work too much, then that means you're neglecting the children. If you're focusing on the children too much, that means you're not getting the work done. Or then there's also this pressure to show how many friendships you have how popular you are how much of a good time you're having with friends to show yeah. what a balanced person you are well personally Dr Saleha I don't think that shows balance you know uh do you have like 48 hours to squish into you know 24 hours to do all of these things humanly it's not possible so yeah. I'm just coming into this now into this and I want you to really reflect upon yourself as an identity and let's take away these labels let's take away these labels from dr Saleh as a as a mother as a psychologist as a carer and it's very interesting that you said that that yes women do emotionally care they emotionally care for the people that they work with they provide them with emotional support as well because we are wired that way we're wired to care so i want to ask dr Saleh, you as a person as Saleh. What are some of the challenges that you faced and how did you overcome them? Um, oh, <laughs> do we have enough time? No. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I overcame my challenges. I am still, I still struggle every day. Um, some days are better. Other days, it's like, how am I doing all of this? And which, what stuff that I, do I need to put down? I think for me, um, 
I think one thing is, one thing has always helped me overcome anything is I have a very strong spirit. And I've always been, um, you can call it the black sheep of the family or a rebel archetype that's been quite active in me. And not because I want to be rebellious. It's just that if something doesn't feel right to me, if something doesn't, it then it's not the right thing for me. I'm going to say it and I'm going to do it. And I, it was that rebellious spirit of mine that came in to a country and said, I'm going to open a mental health clinic. And there was no mental health clinic in Dubai. It was that rebellious spirit where everyone told me, don't be a psychologist, you're too sensitive. And I said, but it feels like the right thing for me, I'm going to do it. Everybody told me that it's not possible for you to get a doctorate while you have children. And I was going to show them that I did it. And I did it even in a shorter amount of time. So I have a spirit that feels that I'm not going to listen to what society expects of me or what society is telling me to be. Does this feel right to me? And I'm going to do it. And so I have worked very hard and I've been very disciplined about the way I work um, for the last however many decades that I've been uh, doing this. And now I feel like, okay, I need something different. So I'm going to shift into something different and my children need something. And I'm going to, my spirit will not let me work in the same way that I used to work in my thirties, in my forties, my spirit is saying, no, your children, your teenagers, this is what is needed of you. Your parents need you right now. So I'm shifting and I don't feel apologetic about it. I don't feel, um, like it's a it's a struggle, obviously, because there's tension there. The tension is between, oh, what should I be doing? Because this is what everybody expects me to do. But then my spirit is very loud and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. So the tension is still there for me. But um, I'm I think what what has helped me move through that or. I don't like the word overcome because I haven't overcome anything. The, what helps me move through that when it shows up in me is I remind myself of what is most important to me. I will not stop working because this is my calling. I'm not doing this for the money. I'm not doing this because this is what gives me, you know, something uh, of of from society. I'm doing this because my soul is asked me to do this and had asked me to do this 15 years ago. So this is me living that out. But now my when when something else is being asked of me, I have to make space for me, for me to do that as well. And so listening to that and making space for that and listening to that and making space for that and not feeling like, oh my God, how am I ever going to do that? I don't, I don't feel hopeless in that space, I, I believe if something has come up for me, that there must be a solution there for me as well. So being creative, being innovative, being disciplined, being clear uh, has helped me move through that. But that means I have to sit with myself a lot. I have to listen to myself a lot. I engage with therapy in a very disciplined way. I I engage with um this kind of reflective practice in a very disciplined way, because the clearer I am about what I need, the easier it becomes to fight for what I need. 
and not to fall into the traps of, well, she needs that from me or society needs that from me. The clearer I am about myself, the clearer the fight or, or the easier, actually, I shouldn't say it's easier, but the the more spirit I can bring to the fight. Uh, so that's why I, I am, I'm, I'm a, you know, I think it's about reflective practice, really. <laughs> and the short answer would be that there's a lot of struggle every day. There will be struggles every day. There will be tensions. The clearer you are about who you are, the the more spirit will be there to ha- help you move through that. You're a very, very brave woman and very inspirational. Um, how do you think society can support and empower working mothers? Um, I think more men need to be having that conversation. I think it's great that women are talking and we are saying the same things, but I've been in Women's Day events every March for the last however many years. I just see a room full of women talking about women, you know, and I would want to see more men involved in that conversation, more men to be allies, to be sponsors, to be advocates for this. And I am where I am. Because there were men in my life that sponsored me, that believed in me. And by sponsoring, I say they stood by me and they said she is capable of this. So, and and that wasn't a lot of men. There were plenty of men that said no. By the way, there were plenty of men that said, you know, they couldn't handle a strong woman in the same room as them. But the men in my life, my brother, my father, my husband, these men have always believed in me. And so I know that that conversation that happened at that table in the dinner table uh, helped me be more confident in, you know, the other table, which is the boardroom table, where men did not take me seriously for because of the way I looked or because I was a woman or because I wasn't. Um, yeah, for probably for those two reasons, they did not take me seriously, but I had the confidence inside of me. So that's the first thing is that more men, forget society, let's not put all of that in one word. Society is doing plenty. Let's have men own some of this conversation so we can move forward and help each other. And I would say that for women to have this conversation in an inclusive way, oftentimes when we start talking about women's rights, we start making a good guy and a bad guy. And the bad guy is going to be the other guy, which is the guy. And so we can't talk like this. We need each other. We need to support each other. We need to have conversations that are inclusive and saying, how can I help you be the best version of you? And how can you help me be the best version of me? 